everyone. I'm back again. We're teaching on the book of love and we're teaching about uh, the book of first John. And this is the first part. And the book of first John is just wonderful. It's one of it's uh, first John is the first letter of three that John wrote to churches in and around the city of Ephesus. And some key words in this letter that we've talked about before in previous sessions are love, light, and to know or knowing, knowing the absolute truth about the Lord. In fact, a great deal of this letter is warning of and exposing heresy within the church. The heresy addressed here is a, is a teaching that completely diminishes who Jesus is. And it was confusing Christians. It was um, causing them to be disoriented and, and it was causing them torment because they, they didn't know what to believe. So um, John was addressing that and trying to help them out and clearing up some things about doctrine. So there is a word that many people um, shun and refuse to talk about that's found repeatedly in the book of 1 John. And that word is sin. We don't like to talk about sin. <laughs> sin and words related to sin, such as sins, sinned, and darkness are mentioned 32 times in the short book of 1 John. Did you know that? That must show that it's pretty important to talk about. And one of the reasons it was so important for, first, for John to address this in the book of 1 John is one of the heresies that was going around is that sin didn't really kind of really didn't even exist. That anything, you, any uh, moral uh, problems you had in your body, any sin, any hate, any gossip, any uh, drunkenness, anything you did in your body didn't matter because that was your body and it was disconnected from your spirit. As long as you were pers uh, pursuing a higher higher goal spiritually, um, anything you, you did in your body didn't matter and sin didn't really exist. So that's why John is addressing sin so much in this book. But did you know that there are Christians who do not believe in teaching about sin? They believe if you share about sin, you are obsessed with sin or you're an oppressor or you put people in bondage or you're judgmental or you're sin conscious. They almost go into a panic if this Bible topic is discussed, speaking about sin makes them very uncomfortable. But we'll find in scripture that speaking about sin and addressing sin is very important, even among Christians, even among church members. So I'm going to go back to Paul, not John, Paul. He wrote a letter in Corinthians, the first letter, 1 Corinthians, and he talked about some very unsavory things that were going on in the church in Corinth. He addressed sin. He addressed it very, uh, very face on, straight on, abruptly. Uh, you know, he wasn't mincing any words about the sin that was going on in the church and it had to do with sexual sin and the church uh, approving of it and supporting of it and, uh, you know, condoning it. And Paul addressed that. And we'll find here that in the book of 2 Corinthians, verse 7, we'll find out the Corinthian church did not have a panic attack. They didn't say, well, Paul, you're just sin conscious. You know, you need to be righteousness conscious. <laughs> you, he, They repented. They took his words to heart. 
and they repented. So let's read that. It's in 2 Corinthians 7, verse 8. Paul is talking about the response that the Corinthian church had and how Paul felt in dealing with it. He says in verse 8, even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. So Paul knows that his letter to them caused them sorrow, but he didn't regret addressing the sin that was in the church. Though I did regret it, and he's kind of saying, you know, well, I, I, I was kind of worried about it, but I see that my, I, I see that my letter hurt you. He didn't want to hurt the church, but he wanted to correct the church. So the hurt was only for a little while, it says, yet now I am happy, not because you were made sorrow, but because your sorrow led to repentance. And that's when, whenever there's any uh, conviction of sin, any teaching about sin, and we know that we've sinned, we need to feel sorry, we need to feel bad about it, and we need to repent. And that's what this letter is saying. And, you know, there's a lot of modern day teachers that say, oh, you never need to feel sorry that you sinned because all your sins are already forgiven. You know, just, you know, you're already forgiven. So there's no reason to feel sorry. There's no reason to repent. But we find in the, uh, in the letter to, uh, second Corinthians that we find repentance is a really important thing and, and having sorrow over sin. Um, so verse nine again, yet now I am happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led to your, you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended. See, God wants, wants us to feel sorry when we sin. And so we were not harmed, uh, so uh, we're not harmed in any way by us. And then it says in verse 10, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. So godly sorrow when we sin, we should have godly sorrow. We should be sorry that we sin, and it should cause us to repent. And then it says, but worldly sorrow brings death. And that's what happens, I think, with a lot of people that um, they're taught about sin or they're reading the Bible about sin, and uh, they just they just freak out because they don't want to have that godly sorrow. They want, don't want to feel any remorse for what they did. And the Bible says that that brings death. Verse 11, see what this godly sorrow has produced in you. Now, this is really, really, really uh, good to see what godly sorrow over sins we commit produces in us. What earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, uh, what concern, what readiness to see justice done, at every point, you have proved yourself to be innocent in this manner. So we see in this reaction that um, that the church, the people in the church, they wanted to clear their name. They wanted to get it right. They wanted to they express sorrow and they wanted to repent. And we know from other scriptures that Jesus, uh, God forgives them because of the work that Jesus did. But they did repent. They felt godly sorrow and they repented. Um. Instead of this reaction, a lot of times, some feel that all of our shortcomings can be addressed by preaching about the goodness of Jesus. They don't want to, they don't want anybody to preach about sin. They want to preach about the goodness of Jesus. And what they do is they use half of a question in the Bible, just half a question taken out of context as a reason to avoid the subject of sin completely. In Romans 2, 4, 
at the last phrase of a question, very last phrase of a question, it says, the goodness of God leads you to repentance. So people just take that last last uh, phrase of a question and they make a whole doctrine of it. And, it. and it is the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. But there are other things too. It's a balanced, uh, God wants our gospel message to be balanced. Um, so they say, uh, referring to this scripture, why should we talk about sin or judgment or hell? We can never, cannot ever get a complete picture of God's love apart from how much he loves everyone who is weighed down with sin and how much sin separates us from God. There has to be a balanced teaching. If we don't understand sin, its nature, our propensity to sin, and the ugly and eternal consequences of sin, we will never be able to grasp the depths of God's love for us. The agony experienced by Jesus in coming to this earth and uh, bearing our punishment. We can never uh, comprehend the vastness of his gift of his gift of love and forgiveness and the victory that we can have over sin. Without preaching on sin or reading what the Bible has to say about sin, a sinner will see no need for a savior. What would we need to be saved from? If there is no sin, what do we need to repent of? Some might say that Christians no longer need to repent because all their sins have been forgiven. You might find it interesting to note that repentance is repeatedly talked about in the Bible. And you might look at the churches of Revelation written to the churches. There's no doubt it was written to the churches and it caused them to repent. Repent, repent, repent. And then it talks about consequences if they don't repent. Did you know that there's at least 11 different lists of sins mentioned in the letters written to the churches in the New Testament, along with individual sins mentioned in many, many, many other verses? We would have to block out or black out a good deal of the New Testament to get rid of the subject of sin. And if there was not sin, uh, if there wasn't sin, Jesus wouldn't have had to come into this world. If we can never address this subject, then we have a problem. We cannot take advantage of the solution. If we can't address sin, then we can't take really take advantage of the solution of sin. For someone who's a Christian, let me use this illustration. <clears throat> so you wake up one morning and you're passing blood. Oh, that's terrible. Uh, you go to the emergency room and you go through all the tests and they discover you have a tumor in your colon. You have colon cancer. So you have surgery and they take out the tumor. The cancer is gone. But the doctor tells you how to prevent it from coming back. Maybe they'll say diet, exercise, get scanned regularly, colonoscopies regularly. And so um, you are aware that you need to be vigilant and realize you're prone to recurrence of colon cancer and take the steps needed to test um, needed lest the cancer slip back in and cause you additional problems. You know, if you have a colonoscopy and they find polyps, you get them snipped off and, and you, you avoid the problems that colon cancer could cause. So it is with sin. The word of God and the Holy Spirit reveal our sin and our need for a savior. We repent and we put our faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and savior. So we've had the surgery, our sins are forgiven. 
But we need to realize we are prone to sin and we need to be on guard and take the steps necessary to walk right before the Lord. And unfortunately, some people have labeled this as bondage. And it's not bondage. It's it's just a wonderful, wonderful uh, blessing to walk this way before the Lord. You know, it's really easy to demonize something like t- teaching about sin and giving it a label. But let's see what John said about this in his letter in the book of 1 John. 1 John chapter 1, verse 6. It says, if we claim to have fellowship, now he's, he's talking to the churches, church, the Christians. He's talking to the churches in and around Ephesus. And some people said, none of these scriptures have anything to do with Christians because Christians don't sin or Christians are already forgiven. But this is written to the church, a church that was very confused because of wrong teaching about sin. So that they were being taught, the church was being taught by false teachers, false prophets, liars, heretics is what First John calls them that sin didn't matter anymore. And so he's correcting this. It says, if we have, if we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son purifies us from all sin. Isn't that a blessing? So we have a choice to walk in the darkness or to walk in the light. And we want to walk in the light, don't we? <clears throat> so it says that if we walk in the light, we have fellowship with one another and with the Father. And, and His, the blood of Jesus Christ purifies us from all sins. I think that is a wonderful blessing. It's a wonderful blessing to be purified of just sin. Then verse 8. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. We all know if we if we are honest that we do sin. We do make mistakes. We have a bad attitude towards somebody. We complain or, or, or we walk in unforgiveness. And, and we know that that's a constant struggle, a daily struggle sometimes. And when we find ourselves in sin, you know, we can't say, well, I didn't sin because I'm forgiven. I'm a Christian. You know, I can't sin. We, we do sin. And, and John is telling us what, what to do. It says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And that's what this church that I talked about in 1 Corinthians, they did. They confessed their sins, they repented, and the blood of Jesus Christ purified them from all sins. And that's real righteousness consciousness is when we know that the blood of Jesus Christ purifies us from all sins. Verse 10, if we claim, if we claim again that we have not sinned, we make him God to be a liar and his word has no place in our lives. Whoo, that's a pretty strong statement. We don't want to do anything that we're saying God is a liar. Um, we're in, uh, first John two, verse two, or two, verse one. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. Isn't that wonderful? See, some people that are afraid to talk about sin look at these scriptures and and they just feel 
oppressed and panicky and afraid. But I look at these scriptures and say, oh, isn't this awesome? This is wonderful. Jesus Christ is the righteous one. He's atoned for all my sins. He's atoned for the sins of the whole world. Uh, 1 John 2 verse 9. If anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in darkness. He's talking about light, darkness, sin. Uh, whoever loves his brother lives in the light. And there is nothing in him to make him stumble. But whoever hates his brother is in darkness or in sin and walks around in the darkness. He does not know where he was go he is going because the darkness has blinded him. In other words, sin has blinded him. We don't want to be in that uh, situation. In Thomas Constable's Notes on the Bible, it talks about this scripture and it says the haters, and we're talking about people who hate their brothers and sisters in the Lord. The hater's sin affects him in three ways. It places him in in the darkest outside in darkness outside God's fellowship. Let me read that again. The hater's sin affects him in three ways. It places him in darkness outside of God's fellowship. It, it leads to aimless activity in which he is in great spiritual danger and in which there is the possibility of a fall. It also results in mental confusion. The Christian who hates his brother loses his sense of spiritual direction in life and uh, partially or totally. No course of life is more dangerous for a Christian than one that includes hatred toward another believer. So we see the impact of this sin in a believer's life. So that's a sin that we don't need to be doing and we need to re be repenting of. Uh, 1 John 2, 12. I write to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. Isn't that wonderful? It just gives me such peace and such rest to know that when I sin, that, that God forgives me. I, I repent and, and go before him and he forgives me. In 1 John 2, 15. Do not love the world or anything of the world in the world. He's talking to Christians. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. So this is a warning to Christians. Hey, don't love the world, love God. Don't love being proud of yourself. Don't love the different lusts that, that afflict men. Um, just, you know, all those cravings that you have, you know, put those aside and have your hunger and your thirst be after the Lord. 1 John 3, verse 7. And, you know, there's people that even say that, you know, 1 John wasn't even written to Christians, or the first chapter of 1 John wasn't written to Christians. But we find this addressing sin all the way through the book of 1 John. 1 John 3, verse 7, it says, Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray, which is one of the whole reasons that he wrote these letters, because they were being led astray. He who does what is right is righteousness, just as he is righteous. He who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of Man, uh, Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's works. No one who is born of God will continue to sin. A 
practice sin or live in sin or enjoy sin. I put those extra ones in because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he has been born of God. In other words, if, if he is taken in a fault, if he is sinning, he's going to have godly sorrow and it's going to bring him to repentance. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does, who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor anyone who does not lo love his brother. And so um, in context of this scripture, it's talking about people who practice sin, who, who feel no remorse over sin, who continue in sin, and there's no striving for, to live in the, in the light. It says, it, it makes a really, really bold statement. And I didn't make this up. It's written in the Bible. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God. Or in other words, they're not continuing. They're practicing in sin. They're, they're living in darkness. And people who hate their brothers uh, in the Lord is a very serious statement about that too. So it's a good time to just check up our hearts. And if we have a hatred toward other people, brothers and sisters in the Lord, it's a time to just fix it. You know, we can fix those things. We can go before the Lord and and uh, be sorrowful about it and confess our sins and repent. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. In 1 John 4, 7, it says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved, loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. See, we're talking about sins here again, that God loved us so much that he sent Jesus as a, an atoning sacrifice for our sins. 1 John 5, 16. 1 John 5, 16. It says, If anyone sees his brother commit a sin that does not lead to death, he should pray and God will give him life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I'm not saying that he should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, and there is sin. There is a sin that does not lead to death. Uh, verse 18, we know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. See, we've talked about that before. The one who was born of God keeps him safe. Um, and the devil and the evil one cannot harm him. We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. So it's talking about sin, 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 sin. Um, and it talks about a sin that leads to death. And we won't talk about that right now. And it, it, a lot of people have a lot of different opinions about it. But basically, uh, people that completely and totally reject the Lord Jesus Christ, that is a sin that leads to death. But um, the important part in here is that Jesus provided the atoning sacrifice for our sin. And sin does exist. We need to recognize it and be aware of it. But we need to be... Uh, so have such confidence and such rest in the Lord that we can uh, repent and feel sorrowful for our sins and that blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sins. 
So to conclude, 1 John 1, 9 again, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all righteousness. It requires uh, godly sorrow, true repentance, and, um, you know, some people make a joke out of this verse or, you know, call it, call it, you know, it's just, uh, just soap for the, soap for the sinner or, or it's a scrub brush for the sinner. But this is a really serious verse, um, that we feel godly sorrow for what we've done. We repent of our sins and the, and, and when we go before the Lord, our sins are forgiven and we're cleansed from all unrighteousness. And we are so conscious of the righteousness that God has given us as a free gift. It is just awesome. God is so good and he loves us so much. And if you are caught in a sin, if you uh, are committing sin, if you've, you know, done something you know is wrong, just go before the Lord with great sorrow and repentance and ask his forgiveness. And he will cleanse you white as snow as if you've never done it. And it's such a wonderful gift from the Lord. And we can walk with our heads held high, knowing that God loves us, he values us, and he washes all sins away. So God loves us so much. And if you've never taken advantage of this wonderful gift of the forgiveness of your sins, I ask you right now, would you like to do that? Would you like to go before the Lord and confess your sins and repent of your sins and call upon Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I invite you to do that today. So if you've done that, we ask that you call us or, or send us a text message or Facebook message, and we would be glad to pray with you, and we'd be glad to send you a Bible. And I also wanted to uh, tell all of the moms out there, happy Mother's Day, and um, if your mom is still alive, uh, treat her special on this Sunday coming up and um, make it a really special day for her. And for those of you who have um, great sorrow on Mother's Day, we just pray that God would help you and minister to you and comfort you on this time. And so we will see you again next week. Bye-bye.